On this episode of the Catholic Gentleman Podcast, we'll be talking with an ordinary Catholic gentleman with a fascinating journey from being a soldier to a teacher to a woodworker who is about to build his own house uh, and ultimately a convert to the Catholic faith. So stay tuned. Uh, coming up next. everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are your hosts, Sam Guzman and John Heinen. If this is your first time, please click that subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell so you can get notified each time one of these comes out. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you like us, we'd love it if you gave us a four or five star review that helps get the algorithm to reach more men like you so that we can continue to help this ministry. And finally, if you are looking to discern in this new year uh, um, an avenue of giving, the Catholic Gentleman would like to be considered and um, prayerfully discerned by you, you can head over to patreon.com slash Catholic Gentleman. Sam and I have a lot of great plans for 2023, including membership programs and new content for men. So definitely head over there and check us out. Today, we are joined by Paul Hyatt. He was born and raised in small towns in Indiana. After graduating from high school, he went to the United States Marine Corps. Thank you for your service and served in the 3rd Battalion, 7th Marine Regiment as an infantry rifleman. This brought him to both Iraq and Afghanistan. And when he made it from home from Afghanistan, he got married to the love of his life, praise God. After this, he studied the social sciences, particularly history, politics, and economics at Ball State University, where he got his degree. And upon graduating, his mentor, Paul, and say his last name again. I know you've already told me, but Simzak, yes, Simzak, <laughs> gifted me, uh, gifted him a handmade dovetail chest, uh, which began his interest in woodworking. From there, he worked teaching social studies and history, pol political science at a public uh, high school. It was through five years of teaching, studying, coaching, craftsmanship, and beauty that he was brought to his conversion in, to Catholicism in 2021. So since then, he stepped away from teaching in the public school. He's teaching online uh, through Homeschool Connections. He works full time and he has plans of building a home from the ground up, a timber home for his family. Paul, that's just some incredible stuff. How are you doing today? Wonderful. And it's uh, wonderful to be here. And I'm very, very honored to be um, out here doing all of the things that I'm able to do and then talking about it with wonderful gentlemen like yourselves. Now, oh, thank you. And for those listening on audio who can't uh, see Paul, Paul's dressed up in this great three-piece suit, uh, looking oh, very dapper. Thank you so much. My, very gentleman. Yeah. I, I do appreciate it. It was uh, Indochino. I, I highly yes. recommend getting suits from them. They, they're a great suit company. So good stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that. I have an Indochino myself. Um, too fun. Um, great. So actually, uh, so you weren't raised, you weren't born Catholic. Uh, what were you born? And I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear it from you. What took you from um, just your life and your youth in Indiana to joining the military? What was that process like? Um, so I was very fortunate to grow up in the faith. So I, I was um, uh, baptized as a Nazarene and um, uh, my family was largely uh, Nazarene Christians. Um, uh, and I, I still live in, in my hometown, uh, but I moved around uh, quite a bit as a kid, um, bouncing around it. We were not a, a rich family at all. And 
um, you know, kind of had to move with the winds as, as things kind of directed us. And, uh, but I was fortunate enough to eventually wind up living next door to my grandfather, who was, um, my, my hero in life, uh, Jerry mm. Kirkwood. And, um, uh, he was a man that maybe wouldn't have been able to have articulated his faith, um, very well or anything like that, but he, um, lived the faith. Like he, he went out and he did good in the world and, um, and he was, you know, beloved by so many people. And so was my grandmother. And, um, um, but, uh, he had a, a remarkable influence on me and, uh, some other people like my martial arts instructors and, and people like that kind of, uh, you know, had an interesting way of leading me, um, uh, through my, my life. I mean, my, my life has been, you know, kind of a, a miracle and a blessing, but, um, ultimately when I graduated from high school, I decided that I wanted to go into the Marine Corps and it was there, uh, you know, like when you're in, when, when you're going on a, a combat deployment, you do kind of have to reconcile those things in your life. Like the fact that you might not come back from this alive, mm-hmm. you know, you, you might not, uh, you might not make it out. So, um, so while I was there, I, um, read my Bible, uh, a lot and, um, uh, not, not the Catholic Bible. So not, uh, not all of the books, but, uh, but I read the Bible from, uh, from cover to cover. And that was really kind of the first time that I was able to, um, uh, to think about my faith, um, in a more direct way. And, uh, and to actually do that in in the country uh, in in Iraq was a, a very very powerful experience and kind of changed my life forever. Where I really really got interested in in uh, uh, in in my faith in a in a much more direct way. But I still wasn't anywhere near Catholicism because um, uh, it, it's just in my area most people were uh, Protestant and um, and. Uh, the the Catholic families that are around this area, um, you know, God God bless them. They they weren't you know just like going out and you know trying yeah. to uh, yeah. uh, you know preach the the faith to uh, uh, to young people like me. Um, but then I uh, was fortunate to be able to come uh, back home and. Uh, my well, wife. real quick, real mm-hmm. quick, before we get there, um, why did you join the military? There's a lot of different reasons that men come to um, in joining the military. And and I think it's such a noble um, pursuit and, and such uh, uh, really excellent. And so I'd like you to speak just briefly on that. Like you're in high school. Was it you didn't know what to do next? Was it you had uh, you've already mentioned your grandfather? Did you have a figure? Did you kind of always know that maybe going into the military was something for you? I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. We never know. We do have young men listening to this episode, but I think it's real important to kind of talk about that discernment. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember actually the first time I saw a Marine, uh, my brother's 10 years older than I am. Okay. And uh, they came to um, talk to my brother about joining the Marine Corps. And I remember seeing him in the in the uniform and everything. And and just the way that people talked about um, Marines was always kind of in this very, you know, reverent uh, way that it was like there, there's something about there's like a magnetism to to the Marine Corps um, and, and its values uh, that um that I, I think I was just always kind of enamored by. 
but really, you know, the the real reason why I uh, joined was because I wanted to um, I wanted to experience a war, and I know that that's that's not typically the answer that you would hear. Like most people yeah. would say that I want to serve my country, or um, I believed in in the values. It was um, uh, I, I wanted to graduate from high school and go on a bit of an adventure. And uh, um, and see if I had what it took uh, to uh, to stare death in the eye and see if if I could um, uh, come out on top of that situation. And, um, you know, thanks be God that I did. But uh, I mean, and and it was a scary time. but that's, you know, really the reason. And then uh, but but then out of it, you know, you make you meet these incredible men. And the the analogy that I like to give to people is that and this is what I love about the the Marine Corps specifically and why it had such a, a huge impact on my life is that um, essentially what a Marine does, it, it's all about the, the Marine to the right and to the left of you, mm-hmm. which is, uh, which is the idea of brotherly love. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially this idea that you're going to go and face the worst things in the world. You're going to, uh, have people, um, try to kill you. And that's their, their goal at every waking hour. And they're going to do it in some pretty despicable ways. Mm. But you're going to fight that with the best that is in humanity. So you're you're going to uh, utilize um, uh, that that love that you have for uh, the man to the right and to the left of you in order to be able to overcome all obstacles that are in your way. That's amazing uh, that you kind of chose to to go down that route to. Uh, for lack of a better word, like seek initiation. Like that's something we've Mm -hmm. talked about uh, before on different episodes, but just this idea of like, we do, we have hardly any cultural forms of initiation left where, you know, young men have to pass the test to like become uh, that mark that passage from boyhood to manhood. And we have no like rites of passage any longer. And it sounds like there was something in you though, that was like, you know, and a lot of these rites of passage was like, you have to face death. You have to like go through this scary, terrifying experience and come out the other side to know that you have what it takes. Yeah. Yes. But it sounds like there was this drive in you to test yourself. Like maybe no one else was pushing you. Maybe nobody else was like saying, you know, well, you need to be a man now or something like that. But it was just, there was this, this innate desire in you to see can I pass the test on my own? And, and, and obviously what you discovered was there's an element of brotherhood involved in that, where there's, there's others rallying around you. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's really powerful. Yeah. If I could, there are two things that you shook loose um, on that one, that there's a book that I think that every uh, young man should read. It's called King Warrior Magician Lover. I don't know if you two have read mm-hmm. it. It's a, a fantastic book. But that's actually they they cite, um, and I, I was very uh, interested in that. That uh, they're like there are so few actual rites of passages in our very very comfortable world that we live in today. They were like pretty much the only one is is going through like Marine Corps boot camp. And I mm-hmm. thought that was so funny that that's like 
oh, you know, like that's that's why this book makes so much sense to me. But um, yeah. uh, and and then the other thing was that, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know where that came from, but I was just incredibly grateful to uh, to my family and especially my mother that, um, you know, there I think that there's this um, idea that mothers uh, ought to do everything that they can to make sure that no harm comes to their children. So, you know, when I decided to join the Marine Corps, my mom, she, she didn't get in my way at, at all. She was immediately just like, yeah, I think that you should do that. <laughs> and, and I, <sighs> so I asked her, um, later on, uh, oh, I was probably 25, 26 years old or something like that. And I, uh, and, and I asked her honestly, and my mom is a very honest woman. I was just like, you know, why did you let me go? Why, why didn't you ever try to talk me out of this? And um, the answer that she gave me, uh, it, it also was one of those things that uh, kind of led me to my uh, conversion um, and, and taking my faith remarkably more seriously. Uh, she looked at me and she said, oh, well, I just knew that you were stronger. Hmm. Um, she was like, I knew that I had done everything that I could. She's like, I would poured everything that I could into you to prepare you for any and all obstacles that might be in your way. Um, so she was like, so I had faith um, in the idea that you would be able to, you would find a way to be able to make it back home alive. And to me, that was like this perfect analogy in my life to um, what uh, uh, what happened with regard to um, uh, our Blessed Mother Mary and the idea that, you know, it's like she has uh, brought um, you know, her, her only son Christ into existence and then offered him up to the world, uh, to be destroyed, uh, by, yeah. by the rest of us, knowing that he would find a way to be able to, um, gloriously resurrect. And that was one of those things that, um, and, and again, you know, my mom, it's not like she knew that, you know, she was just like, there was just something, um, about it that didn't seem right. She's like, while I was terrified the entire time you were gone and worried about you every day, it just didn't seem right for me to get in your way. And that was uh that was a blessing. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind me following up on that, like what a wonderful mom. I mean, like just, to, <laughs> Oh yeah. 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 To kind of uh, encourage you to leave the nest. I mean, a lot of mothers like, and we, you know, uh, uh, have the opposite tendency. It's just something the mothers struggle with to like, you know, like you said, kind of to protect and nurture. And, and like, it's a lot of times the dads that have to push them out, but, mm -hmm. but it sounds like your mother was willing to make that sacrifice. But I wanted to follow up on something that um, you mentioned, like you, you saw combat, you went through the kind of these hellish experiences with your brothers. And, and that's like an intense experience that I would say a large percent of the population isn't going to have like that's just mm -hmm. that's just not something that a lot of men are going to go through and i would love to know like what were some of the lessons that you learned going through that experience about yourself about maybe about humanity maybe about those guys that were with, with you in that experience like what were some of the like key formative lessons that you took away from that that really in, that intense uh experience that you had of combat yeah um well, you're going to become keenly aware of your shortcomings. Um, mm -hmm. You absolutely, and, and we all have them. Um, 
and you will admire um, the the greatness that is that is in uh, the other Marines that you serve with. That while you have a shortcoming, this other person has a strength, and that means that um, you have to uh, work together uh, as a as a real team. Like everyone must um, carry their own weight. So you kind of develop um, a very realistic and um good mode of being that that you that everyone has to um everyone has to engage in this reality uh to the greatest degree otherwise then you know people will die people will get hurt um so i mean uh you you definitely become keenly aware of your flaws and you look and and there're just so many great marines that i um, that I served with, um, you know, my, my best friends, um, Ransom Martell, uh, Relio Elliott, uh, Josh Johnson, Bill Tennant, uh, Tony Lopez, uh, Moises Guzman. There's so, there's so many of them that, um, when you're having a low, um, they will be there to, uh, to be able to, to help you through that situation. But, um, and, uh, you know, just because of the reality that, you know, everything out there, you know, in, in a country in Afghanistan, uh, or in a, in a country like Afghanistan, um, you know, in one is probably about a quarter of a mile stretch, uh, of, of land that we had to, uh, clear and defend. Um, I think that there were, uh, over 400 IED, uh, related, uh, issues. If you don't want to, and an IED is, it's, um, it's an improvised explosive device. So it's, over 400 bombs in, uh, or, or explosions going off or things like that that had taken place over the course of about two months, um, mm. in, in, in a quarter of a mile. <laughs> so, um, so when you, you know, have that, uh, reality, uh, that everything in this country essentially is, is trying to kill you, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's going to, you're going to have weak points. Um, you're, you're going to have those, um, uh, 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 chinks in your armor and stuff like that, that are going to, um, work their way in and you're going to have uh, weaknesses. That you're going to have to rely on others to be able to, uh, make it through. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a harsh reality and it, um, it, uh, makes you have to basically fully embrace the reality of life and death and um, uh, fully embrace, um, you know, being a man and being courageous in the face of that, um, which is hard to do sometimes. You know, I mean, I when I um, when when we lost uh, our first Marine, um, you know, Bob Newton, who was a great Marine beloved by um, all uh, uh, a good friend not one of my best friends. Thank God I, you know, didn't lose any of my best friends while I was over there, but everyone knew this man. And, uh, when he, uh, when, when, when he passed, um, you know, it, it was very, very hard for everyone to be able to take in, in India company, um, third battalion, seventh Marine regiment. Yeah. And, you know, then it's like, it all of a sudden sets in that you're not immortal and that, um, that your days are numbered and that, that it could happen at any, any moment. And you don't know when it's going to, to take place. Um, so it definitely has a, a direct impact on thinking about the big questions I would say is, is one of the big impacts that it had on me. Yeah. Wow. That's some deep and, uh, thought provoking, uh, 
advice and, 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 um, experience that you just shared with us. So I appreciate that. How did you not talking, just kind of piggybacking on what Sam was saying? Um, how did this make you look at humanity or mankind? Because you've, uh, very, uh, astutely kind of commented on brotherhood and that unity there. Um, but it, did it darken your, your view of mankind or, or did it, were you able to associate, you know, differences in belief and opinion and, you know, the sins and shortcoming of, of all, you know, within war? I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, of, of how you, how you got through and, you know, without hate and without, um, yeah, uh, you know, I think you said it in show prep, you know, PTSD and things like that. I, I would just love to hear a little bit more about your view of um, of humanity having gone through that. Um, well, I mean, it's that it's illuminating um, because I mean, it like it, it's definitely going to leave its mark on you that's going to be there for uh, the rest of your life. And I think that uh, kind of fully coming to terms with that, when when I stumbled across the work of Jordan Peterson, like he really mm. kind of, I think, did the best of highlighting some of the things that um, that I was uh, feeling and working on in my own life as a as an academic and and based off of my life experiences. But um, it's that uh like that that you come to realize that these are people now you mm. you can't necessarily do that i i think um uh and and much you know this isn't what people necessarily want to hear but like when you're training um to be a marine and, and you could actually read a, a wonderful book about this is called um on killing i can't remember what the name of the individual was that wrote that book, but I actually met him um, mm. at a at a at a at a church of all places in uh, and in Twenty Nine Palms, California. Uh, so I actually have a signed copy of that book. Uh, but there's a reason why when they train an individual um, uh, to, uh, to to be ready for combat, they don't um, they'll use a silhouette target. Um, mm. Because they don't want you to identify this with being a human being. And there's a reason why um, there is this dehumanization that takes place of, uh, of of your enemies. It's to be able to reconcile that you very well may have to uh, take this person's life in order to be able to save someone else's. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, that's that's the reality of of war, basically, um, that, that you kind of have to um, to come to terms with. But um, but what you realize uh, by, you know, seeing, you know, terrible and, and awful things is that there's um, that that's in all of us. And, and again, that was, you know, like uh, Jordan Peterson would talk about which what a godsend he, you know, has, has been to so many people. Um, but, uh, uh, but talking about, um, uh, you know, the, the idea that all of us essentially have it within us to, um, to be a Nazi concentration camp guard and stuff mm -hmm. like that, that, that you become aware of the 
of your by by seeing the capacity of evil that people have, you realize that you have that within yourself, and mm-hmm. that makes mm-hmm. you want to run full steam away from that darkness to the light. And that's essentially mm-hmm. what took place in in my life. Um, is that you know when I got done with the Marine Corps, you know I I found out that it's like yeah I, I had what it took to. Uh, uh, to go and and do this thing and make it back and uh, and and be with my family. Um, so to answer the second question there with regard to um, PTSD uh, and Sam, you are I, I wanted to ask you this, but um, uh, but you know per, perhaps you can give. I, I have my thoughts essentially on on what um, results in in PTSD. Um, when I got home it was immediately coming back to, um, a very loving family. You know, like I, I came home, uh, I landed at victory field, uh, with my wife, uh, my grandmother, uh, my mother and my grandfather, my grandfather had had mm, wow. uh, quadruple bypass surgery. <laughs> and, um, and he was not supposed to, he wasn't supposed to travel on a plane and he came to see me there. Uh, it was one of them, you know, it, it was, one of the greatest moments in my life um, was to uh, to come home and, you know, see a man who had brought me so much joy in life and um, that I tried to emulate uh, to look at me with um, uh, with so much um, joy and happiness that I had made at home. Um, and again, he could never he couldn't articulate it in that way. He would just hug you and cry. (laughs) uh, um, So I came home uh, to a loving family that wanted me to be successful. But um, many young Marines, so so getting over the the dark things that you see uh, while you're overseas um, uh, was relatively simple for me by just having um, loving people in my life. Um, But if I had a guess, uh, I would say that uh, many of my friends were not in the same situation that I was in. Uh, many of them came back home. They they you know joined the Marine Corps to actually uh, get out of a bad yeah. uh, home life, and then they came back to still that kind of uh, bad home life. And now they don't have that brotherhood. And and in our modern world, it, it's not. Uh, it's it's unfortunately not what I would say kind of uh, uh, modeled after the idea of, of brotherly love. It's, you know, as I explained it to my wife, it's like in the Marine Corps, it's amazing because if you're having a struggle um, and you need to talk to somebody, you literally go one door down and you're going to have somebody that you can talk to. You have these friends that will literally give the best in themselves. Um to keep you in the fight, in, in, in the good fight. And, and again, they won't be able to, you know, necessarily explain why that is, but it's just, but that's what they all have. So then when they leave that to a world where it's very hard to get people to help you in a time of need, um, in, in our modern kind of crazy chaotic world. And, um, it's hard to find people that are, uh, just willing for the better in someone else all the time. 
So mm-hmm. I, I wonder, Sam, if that is something that you experience quite a bit when you are counseling people uh, confronted with PTSD. But yeah, no, I think what you said is actually very perceptive in the sense that um, what PTSD comes from is essentially your resources are overwhelmed. Trauma is you have an intense experience that involves feelings of you know helplessness and, and fear and terror and things like that. And we all have like what we call a window of tolerance where you can handle certain stresses and um, experiences and bounce back. You can be resilient from those experiences. When those resources are overwhelmed and, and, and kind of the, the fear, the terror, the helplessness that you experience uh, uh, goes outside of that window of tolerance, that's when trauma starts to develop. Mm-hmm. Now, when looking at uh, what you were describing through the lens of what we call attachment theory, the more connections, positive connections you have in your life, the more resilient to traumatic experiences you mm. are. Uh, the more loving relationships you have, the faster you bounce back from those experiences, the more you the more you have an ability to recover from stress and trauma. Um, but like you said, almost exactly like you said, those who do not have those loving connections, those who do not have that support network, um, you know, they, they suffer. They, they, they don't because what, what attachment really does is it teaches you emotional regulation. It teaches you that, that there are people there for you that are love you and that care for you. And that teaches you that it's okay. It's okay to be stressed because the world will go back to being right uh, when it's over. Um, and, but when you don't have that, then those traumas, um, you feel very alone and isolated in that mm-hmm. and they haunt you in a way that, that, they might not if you have that loving support. So yeah, I think exactly what you said. I mean, even from a psychological perspective, um, is absolutely true. And and one of the things, and that kind of leads to another thing that I, I think is worth discussing. But right before the show started, we were talking about the importance of conversations, the importance of having people in our life that we can turn to um to have deeper conversations. I mean, we all have people in our life that are a little more, you know, those relationships are maybe important, but they're a little more shallow. Like, you know, hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing good. You know, good to see you. Shake hands and we'll go on your way. And then there's other relationships where it's like you want to sit down and have a good hour, two hour conversation about the most important questions in life. And you were talking about, you know, you kind of um, some of those relationships in your own life. And uh, I know John and I have some of those relationships, but but um, maybe if you could explain a little bit more too about you know, you have this awesome family, this loving family, but maybe some of the other relationships in your life that have really helped support you as a man and how you cultivate those or seek those out. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I guess it's more, I, I would say that's something that men um, really do kind of, in, in my experience, struggle with is being able to just simply, you know, sit down and and want to talk about um, just about anything. And I've been blessed in my life to have so many uh, great men that, uh, for whatever reason, just want to sit and talk to me and, and yeah. uh, tell me uh, anything. And I'm very, I always go into a conversation I think I actually just did it with you and I, I, I assume mm-hmm. that I don't know anything. And, um, 
Uh, and that makes me kind of want to learn as much as I possibly can. So I always kind of assume that I don't really know a whole heck of a lot and that this some um, and, and and that this person has a piece of the human experience that I probably don't and that I should probably listen as best as I can. And I think that my students really, really picked up on that too. It, at least that was something that I was always praised about uh, when I taught was that they were like, it, it really seems like when we ask you a question that you, you actually care about answering it well, you know, like, and, and you'll like take a second to be able to thoughtfully consider that. Um, so I, you know, have just been blessed with tons of people uh, in my life. Um, you know, my, the, the first and foremost is probably my, my brother, uh, Doug. Um, I love him to death. I, I love him more than I love any other man on the face of this mm. planet. And um, he's been such a, a wonderful uh, influence in my life. And him being 10 years older than me is also a blessing because it I think it made me grow up quicker um, because I always kind of wanted to fit in and be around my brother, um, even though I was the, you know, uncool, you know, 13-year-old and he was 23. You know, and yeah. I so but I I I you know always love uh talking to him. Uh, my when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, uh my wife and I got into um powerlifting and um and went to the gym. That's one I I highly recommend to to everyone. My wife is actually, you know, uh was very competitive at it. I um for I'm you know five foot seven and 160 pounds. So there's a lot of five foot seven, 160 pound guys that are very strong out there. So I, I was somewhat competitive, but not the most competitive, but, um, uh, I saw, I remember, you know, being in the gym working out and I, uh, saw a, a young man cross away. So, um, uh, Robert, if you're listening to this, you know where this story is headed, but, uh, one of my best friends, his name is, uh, Dr. Robert Lantis. Uh, he's an economics professor at, at Ball State University. Uh, I saw him across the way and he was squatting with ease over 400 pounds. And I walked up to him and I was just like, dude, you're a savage. Like, what do I have to do to be like you? <laughs> so uh, he's a lot bigger than I am. But uh, uh, but uh, but we just started we, we got to talking and uh, we wound up working out with one another and I had no idea that he had a PhD in economics and I um, enjoy talking about economics. And uh, so we just kind of hit it off. But, you know, the number of times that he's been over at my house or we've been at the gym just talking about the the deepest things about our struggles and everything. And, um, you know, all of that, all of that, if you're pursuing truth in everything, and that is what it's always about when we would be arguing, it was, you know, essentially about the nature of truth. Um uh, you know, we we would um, uh, always kind of have the other's best uh, in mind, but but we we didn't fear disagreeing with one another, and that brought out a lot of of, uh, of really really good things that led me to my faith today. And then uh, and then my my um, martial arts instructor that I had for from the time I was nine years old until he passed away, um, probably about seven, eight years ago or so now, his name is Larry Bennett, um, definitely took a huge hand in um, uh, talking with me and and forming me into a, 
uh, a man that questions everything, um, but not for the sake of questioning everything, um, to, to be able to try to um, figure out um, a proper way of, of living and being in the world. And yeah. uh, uh, to all of those people, I'm, and so many other people as well. Those are just the the three that I can think of off the top of my head. But but it's so important for uh, young men to um, develop a relationship with other men that uh, that you respect and and uh, and that respect you also and want to be around you and talk with you that aren't there to uh, abuse you or manipulate you or anything like that. And that takes wisdom because uh, there are yeah. other people in the world. Yeah, it sounds like it takes wisdom and humility. Um, you know, kind of you you brought up a lot of great things from brotherhood to uh loss and uh and the importance of truth seeking with other men who are uh doing the same thing, right? That pursuit of truth is is so important without you know, having your your pride getting in the way and causing deeper division. And I know we could talk a lot about, you know, economics and going down that path, but I want to spend some time talking about two things, your conversion to Catholicism and then your love of woodworking and beauty. And so if you could uh, give us and start talking about the conversion, it's only been uh, like two years or so that you converted to Catholicism, I think just under. And so I'd love to hear, you know, what what brought that out? Um, you know, you, you were growing in your faith. You said in Nazarene when you were when you were born or, you know, in childhood and then reading scripture in the military and seeking truth. And then uh, the arbiter and, and authority of truth, you know, fullness of truth, the Catholic faith, you know, came into your life. Mm -hmm. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that, we'd love to uh, chat about it. So there's there's a lot there, and yeah, I, I, it certainly I is. Be, I could be particularly. I, I suppose um, uh, I found the fullness of my faith in what many would probably consider to be some of the most unlikely of places. Um, like I, I don't think that you necessarily uh, live the life that I have uh, lived. And I'm not saying that in the sense of like, oh, feel bad for me or anything like that. But I don't think you necessarily live the life that I've lived and just like, oh, yeah, that guy's going to, you know, convert to Catholicism mm. and dedicate his life to Christ. You know, it's not. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think a lot of people would look at it that way. Um, and I don't think and that's kind of been the the consistent thing. Uh, whether it be from my approach of living my life or um, the way that I grew up or um, my academic pursuits or anything like that. Um, so, uh, like I said, you know, I um, really kind of went on a um, truth seeking journey that took place when I was um, in the Marine Corps in Iraq uh, because, yeah, I, I, uh, and, and not like, I mean, you're, I, I think everyone, you might not say that you are, uh, but you're terrified, you know, <laughs> you're like, a, even though when I went to Iraq, it wasn't a very uh, kinetic environment, um, Afghanistan was, but, um, uh, but it wasn't a highly combative environment, but it's even just the idea that, you know, that you could have something terrible take place. It makes you have to, you know, kind of reconcile those things. And I would cite that as where things really kind of began uh, for me, um, with that, um, with that journey. Yeah. And, uh, 
and and everything kind of kept bringing its way back to that in in my life is fundamentally it's like um what is to be my uh, interaction with regard to my faith um so it started there and um and then i uh got out of the marine corps and became you know went went on to to school and um uh had had to make it through um all of that kind of you know i mean I think that good education is supposed to uh, make the world less confusing, not not more. And there were definitely those professors from time to time that would make things remarkably more confusing than 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 what I uh, perceive the world to be. And again, mm-hmm. that kind of takes wisdom to be able to discern your way through all of that. Um, but uh, uh, ultimately, it was um, by dedicating my life to trying to pursue the truth um and uh to uh bring that truth out to my students um and do that it, it was through teaching that i think that i kind of figured out the the proper motive of being with regard to that because like as a as a if you want to be a great teacher you have to eventually love the students, even those that many who would consider to be unlovable. And that's very, very hard to do sometimes. Um, so you, you know, try your best to will for the better of all of these students. And that calls out the best in you. And that means that you have to constantly be seeking mm. more and more ways to more deeply improve um, your your role as an educator. Um so it was through uh, rigorous study uh, and, and kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back was um, I proposed a Western political philosophy course. Which, again, you, you were the truth of my, my Catholic faith by studying politics of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, that was really when I... Um, first was able to take a pretty deep dive into uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm. And um, I just walked away from the experience. It just changed forever. And I, I walked over to um, uh, my, my good friend, Paul Simzak. Um, I walked over to his classroom in between classes. Uh, oh, and by he's another one. I can't believe I didn't mention him. He's another one of those people that I talked his leg off through the years. Um, yeah. You know, such, such a great man uh, that I just, I love to death. And I, uh, walked into his classroom and I was like, um, all I know this is going to come as a very big shocking statement, but I think I'm becoming Catholic. <laughs> he was uh-huh. like, what? <laughs> so, so I, I explained it, you know, to him what I was feeling that it was like around every turn that I, I took, um, you know, everything that I kind of admired in the world, um, uh, came from a Catholic lens and that I, you know, I'm a huge fan of J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, currently reading the, my favorite book, the Silmarillion, I think for the mm. fourth or fifth time now. Wow. Um, and I, you know, and th- there are so many people in my life who are like, Oh, you know, no, Tolkien didn't write that. It's not a, it's not a, a religious work or anything like that. It's like, well, but he said, you know, that it's a, fundamentally a um a a religious and catholic work and uh and when you kind of discover that 
he didn't write those things um, uh, to like work around Catholicism or anything like that, but to kind of that there's a deep there's a deepness to his faith that is ingrained in those stories. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I read them again and, and you know, realized that it was just like, uh, I mean, it's just it's it's everywhere around me. And I um, felt um, compelled, but not in the sense that, uh, like, I felt coerced into becoming. No one forced me into this. I, I, um, I, I just had God very clearly work in my life and bring me to this faith, um, and uh, and it, it fundamentally changed um, my my outlook on how I'm going to live my life and. Mm-hmm. Uh, made me realize that I I needed to more clearly focus on um, doing those things that I think God uh, is calling me to do and uh, to become uh, a great teacher and a great craftsman and to um, try to uh, show the the beauty of my faith to as many people as I can through those things and in whatever capacity that I can. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people struggle in life with, with trying to find meaning, um, of like, why do you get out of bed in the morning? And, um, that, that, uh, answer is pretty simple for me now. You know, I, I, yeah. I wake up every morning, um, trying to do everything that I can to be the best, uh, man that I can be, um, because I think that's what God calls us all to do. So, um, so fundamentally that's how I came to my faith in a, in a, greatly condensed nutshell wow. uh, that I, that I could go on for hours about because any, any one of those I could talk about for a very, very long time with you gentlemen. Well, thank you. Oh yeah. I love that. I actually love the story that, you know, that you kind of found your way into the church through, you know, a, a kind of an unexpected doorway. You know, I heard someone say once that there's, I mean, I think it was GK yesterday that there's like a thousand doorways into the church. <laughs> like, you know, why? Because truth is one, you know, and ultimately, if you follow the threads of truth to where they lead, you're you're going to kind of end up at the source, uh, which is which is is Catholicism. And, you know, the, you know, talking about Tolkien and things like, yeah, and there's like this kind of this implicit Catholicism versus explicit Catholicism that you're talking about, like with Tolkien, where he didn't necessarily uh, always write explicitly about his Catholic faith, and yet it was embedded in everything that he did. And I think that's perfectly okay i think that's actually a very healthy thing where we can approach these different um uh, fields uh with you know informed by our catholic faith and, and bring that kind of implicit worldview to everything that we do um and people will be drawn to that because again it's truth uh, so i love that and 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 uh you know speaking of that you were talking about some of the woodworking that you've been doing and and I know woodworking doesn't seem like an inherently Catholic thing, but again, it's like there's these threads of of beauty and truth and goodness that are kind of embedded in everything that you're trying to do to strive to be the best man that you can. So tell us a little bit about how you got fascinated by woodworking and just kind of how that is informed by some of the, the truths and the, and the values that you've absorbed through your Catholic faith. Um. Yeah, I, again, was just very, very fortunate. My mentor, uh, his name is Paul Simzak. Uh, so I, I student taught for him uh, for a semester and um, and just had a had an absolute blast and um, experience that I'll never forget. Um, 
And he, though I don't know if he would necessarily just admit it outright like this, but he, he probably, he, he loves me to death. Um, and I'm, I'm probably his favorite student teacher that he's ever had, though, though he wouldn't necessarily just say that, but, um, but, uh, but he, um, uh, we, we really, really hit it off and he really admired what I was able to bring to the classroom from the standpoint of, um, having been in the military and uh, him and also uh, the athletic director at the time, his name was uh, Steve Boozer, said, like, who better to teach a history course than a than a former United States Marine? And um, and I was very honored uh, to to have been there. And um, so all of those things kind of eke their way in. And um, I learned a lot from Paul. Uh, so he um, spent that summer after I had left. Um, building me a um, dovetail box made out of um, walnut. And then in the in the center of it, uh, he had um, taken a piece of uh, wood called bird's eye maple. It's an exotic species of wood um, that has all of these. Um, a lot of people would consider them to be imperfections in them. But when you uh, put a finish over it, it's like the wood just mm. comes alive in such a way that just just blows your mind. Um, so he inlaid, um, that, uh, uh, he, he carved out an, an Eagle Globe and Anchor, which is the insignia wow. of the United States Marine Corps. And then, um, inlaid and, and he texted me at one point, he's like, um, uh, he's like, uh, can, can you, he's like, what, what unit was it you were in? And I was like, I was like, uh, India company, uh, second platoon, um, third battalion, seventh Marine regiment. So uh, when you open up the the chest itself, um, it uh, has this eel globe and anchor in the center of it, and then it is flanked by all of those um, numbers and letters. Um, and I, uh, it, we went out to lunch, and um, he's like, I, uh, you know, just want to see. He didn't tell me anything about this, and and after we had uh, eaten lunch there in uh, Portland, Indiana, walk out to the back of his. Um, uh, suburban and he opens it up and there's this box sitting there and I had, had never really uh experienced um fine furniture um yeah. like that before in in my life and I just immediately broke down it you know I mean because it, it's just one of those things it, it's like you don't know why this thing is amazing and beautiful but it just is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everyone knows it when they see it. Um, and that that's kind of like the the higher truth, right? You know, it, it's um, a truth that doesn't even have to be justified and it takes your breath away. Mm. And, um, uh, and and when I, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like you have like an out-of-body experience and whatnot. I just was so incredibly thankful. And just in that moment, it's like you just have this perfect mode of being where it's just like, you know, you have the gratitude of the person receiving it. Uh, and then you have the the person who gave it um, for the sake of giving it um, that uh, that just leaves its impact on you. And um, to use uh, Paul's um, his uh, nomenclature, he's, he's a. Uh, he's like, it's, it's a sickness of the mind woodworking <laughs> because, yeah. um, as soon as I saw it, 
I was like, I have to know how this is made. So then I yeah. began looking up online. Um, you know, I just typed in online dovetail box, you know, and let's see what mm. pops up. And then there's uh, immediately um, some of the greatest woodworkers that the world has ever seen. Um, Paul Sellers, Rob Cosman, Frank Stratton, yeah. you know, like all of these just men who have dedicated um, their entire lives to, uh, you know, the gentleman that I mentioned, Paul Sellers, that I uh, bought his book and learned how to do woodworking with uh, with 10 hand tools from him. Uh, he was, uh, I think he said, I think I'm saying this right, that he was the first man in 70 years to have a piece of his um, furniture put in the permanent collection of the White House. Um, which is a huge accomplishment of um, uh, for for a woodworker to be able to uh, to to do. Um, so I um, started the the sickness of the mind and and never left it. So and and it was very hard. You know, I mean, it's it's um, like people will ask me, uh, you know, why like. Uh, I'm thinking about getting into woodworking. What's your advice? And I, you know, tell them, um, we'll get used to being disappointed for about a year. <laughs> You're yes. going to not really be very good for uh, an uncomfortably long amount of time before you finally make something that looks halfway decent, but, uh, but you'll, you'll learn a lot um, and you'll master your hands and you'll master your mind. And um uh, and then you'll have a uh, skill that you can take with you for the rest of your life um, that is both um, uh, beautiful and useful. Um, yeah. So I can't remember. And I, I kind of got on a uh, bit of a tangent there, Sam. So I don't know if I answered all of your questions, but that's uh, it, it was essentially those things um, that uh, as I continue to make and and build furniture and give it to people um, that always just kind of like seeing um, the joy in their face, uh, was very much like, a an experience of evangelium. Um, yeah. I, um, you know, just never want something like that to, to end. Um, it, it's one of the best feelings you ever have that, you know, I, like I've, um, uh, made, you know, boxes for people that have been given to people, uh, that, that served in the military or that, died they want to keep their medals in and stuff like that so i mean it you know you you make stuff that's incredibly important um to these people and then um you know it, it it's just it's priceless to see um that person it just immediately adore what you have done and be so grateful for it and and love it and want to show everyone and uh and and will hopefully be around long after i've passed yeah. It's the bonds of love and, and unity uh, that you're that you're able to create. And honestly, I went and quickly looked it up because what you were saying, <clears throat> you know, Benedict XVI, may he rest in peace. He I know that there was this quote and I was able to find it real quick that says the encounter with the beautiful can become the wound of the arrow that strikes the heart and in this way opens our eyes. It seems like that's exactly what uh, happened to you uh, through that first experience. And and then praise be to God, you know, as we are created in the Imago Dei, we have the opportunity and the privilege to be cre co-creators or creators as God um, our father is a creator and, and I feel there's no uh, better way uh, than with wood, you know, and with art and, 
And I, as a professional musician as well, but that's actually why our Catholic gentleman rosary is made out of wood, right? Because it had life. It has so much, um, uh, you know, history and story behind it. And so I'm, I'm a huge fan of woodworking and I'm really excited that, that, um, that opens you up. But why don't we finish today with just your, your brief thoughts on beauty? You kind of uh, suggested it that, you know, that there's this higher transcendental that, uh, that it points us upward, you know, that, that we have the, um, we have the privilege of being a servant, you know, to beauty and to open that up. And I'd love, you know, to finish this episode with just some of your thoughts on on beauty and how you're able to, you know, cultivate that within woodworking. Yeah, um, and that's a it's such a uh, an interesting and terribly hard question to be able mm-hmm. to answer. But um, um, but uh, I, I guess I could give an analogy that um, I used to give to my students um, with regard to um, music. Um, yeah. I'm a, a huge fan of music, which, but you'll probably like this, John. I actually, uh, for my, um, my anniversary, I was able to take uh, my wife to see um, uh, Andrea Bocelli live. Yes. In, uh, wonderful. Uh, in Indianapolis. And it was incredible. Oh, um, it was. Yeah. But uh, um, music, um, is it's it's like a human universal like people really like music um and uh uh while it's um we we have our subjective taste with regard to music and whatnot um the fact that everyone likes it means that there's kind of like an object there that we all um uh serve in in one way or the other right yeah and um when you are driving down the road it's odd how this can happen and it's probably happened to everybody at least once in their life that um a song will come on that will strike you in such a way that it will give you what you didn't know you needed precisely when you needed it the most Mm. and that is essentially why i um love the beauty of woodworking is because it's become this lost art um, that uh, doesn't make sense to a lot of people because we live in a world of consumerism that says like, well, um, knock a widget out as quickly as humanly possible and sell it uh, for far more than it took to be able to, uh, to do that. Um, But it doesn't result in a beautiful world. And um, uh, so, I mean, for me, um, woodworking um like a a great woodworker i think aspires to take an ordinary thing Mm -hmm. and make it extraordinary for the sake of making it extraordinary for the sake of making it beautiful and what that does is it elevates the human spirit so i mean when it comes to me um, building a timber frame house and stuff like that and you know why not just you know do something else it'd be far easier you know like that that's um uh, and and why why travel to Maine to learn how to do it? Why um, why go through all of the hassle? And it's like, well, um, because I want every aspect of my life to be dripping with meaning and shine through um, God's beauty in in everything that that I that I do, and to um, bear my signature and and to know that like I uh, poured the greatest of myself into this thing um, for the sake of doing it. Um, And even though it might not make sense, um, 
from uh, from the modern standpoint, um, it, it it it's what saves you and keeps you whole through dark times. Um, and um, and and I'm very fortunate to, um, you know, when I was making my convert, it's kind of odd that. There, the the church that I go to, if you're ever in Indiana, you should go to Bryan, Indiana, and you'll see one of the most beautiful churches um, called uh, uh, the the Holy Trinity Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And it's where I go to Mass at uh, every Sunday unless we're traveling. And um, uh, it was uh, uh, built in the late 1800s, I believe, and it is it makes no earthly sense why it's there. It's in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere. And I had driven by it a handful of times and I was just like, man, why don't we, why don't we make things like that anymore? Why is it that when you go to, you know, the old world, which I have not been, but I've only been, you know, able to go to uh, kind of some of the uh, more terrible aspects to, to see the the worst place. So I, but I, but I do want to make it um, to, uh, to, um, to Italy and France and, and see all of these beautiful structures that, um, that, that have been built. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I later, you know, now that that's where I, I go to mass at and the whole thing, you know, like father Arbuckle, uh, one of the two priests, which I'm very blessed to have great priests in my life as well. Um, father Logston, father Arbuckle and the man who ran, um, RCIA at the time, which I think has had a name change now. Um, but, uh, uh, Francis Albert, all of these men were just great men, and they you know walk you through this church, and you can just see the the adoration for the beauty that was poured into this uh, building. Um, so I mean, to to think, and I I see that from the standpoint of the woodwork, but it's like a man, you know, yeah. uh, came in here to elevate the the human spirit um, and uh, and and unite it with uh, with something divine. Um, wow. and that to me is, um, uh, is, is the incredible aspect of, of what you can find in doing really any craft if you want to do it to, um, to the, to its highest level. Um, yeah. but there's a lot there that, you know, unfortunately it's, it's not easy to do that so much anymore. It, it takes a lot of time and you have to give up a lot in order to be able to do it, but it's worth it. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think your statement was dripping with meaning to use your words. Yeah, Sam, go for it. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, beauty played a role in my conversion too. And I think people, we have such a utilitarian mindset now where it's like, um, well, we're just going to build a glass box because it shelters you from the elements or whatever. Like, like you look at all the major cities now, they all look exactly the same because it's just these glass towers, you know, and it's like beauty is an end in itself. Like it doesn't serve any purpose like you know it just it is and right. and, and uh it's like i love what you said about how it makes no earthly sense <laughs> like it doesn't like <laughs> it yeah. worth, uh, right. animals do just fine without it like they build they build their little houses or like birds build their nests and and they're not really thinking about beautifying them or decorating mm. them we're like the only creatures that decorate our tools uh and and why like just because beauty is an end in itself so i i think what you said is like just incredibly profound and i think it's something that we should seek to cultivate as men is a love and appreciation for for beauty as you described where it can it can transform hearts so i just want to thank you this has been an incredibly profound discussion and i think there's so much to reflect on here 
Um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm so glad we were able to meet and, and just, um, just learn from your wisdom and from your experience as a man. Uh, so thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, I second that. Thank you. It was just a blessing. We unpacked a lot and there's a lot that could be re-listened to and, you know, re-unpacked. So Paul, thank you so very much. And as we like to end every episode. May a man be a saint. <laughs>